and say, there it is. Let's get there together. But I pray that our church is a place where people know that it is okay to struggle with depression. Where it is okay to be able to admit that we have a pornography addiction. Where it is okay for us to be able to say, Lord, I am completely controlled by my phone, unable to have a conversation without distraction. And yet, Father, you call us as Christians to stand on the rock. And so I pray, Lord, that in the midst of our struggle that you might help us to gaze our eyes toward the lighthouse on the rock and to make our way there by word and sacrament that you would help us, O oh, Father, with all of our might, individually and as a church together to help us find the lighthouse on the rock. Father, we find ourselves as a church adrift at sea in many ways, looking for the day when we're able to have a building of our own where fire drills don't interrupt sermons, where we can rest, where we can create the culture of hospitality that so many of us embody individually in our own homes and we long to embody together as a community. And so, Father, we, we look to you as the rock. And we stand on the rock, and we know, Father, that you have provided so much for us. And so, Lord, may we bleed with gratitude. Thank you for providing us with a place that we can come in this place and worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, I pray that you would help those who have not been to church in a long time find safe haven here. I pray that you would help those of us who have been overchurched and burned by the church and wounded by the church to hear the gospel again with fresh ears. That it's not about us, it's about you. And I pray that you would help us as a staff, that you would help our church staff lead in such a way that we disappear so that people see Christ. And I pray for the elders. I pray you would strengthen their hands as they shepherd people and as they get into the messiness that is so much of our lives together. I pray for men who are called to lead that you would provoke them even now, Lord. Convict them that now may be the time when they too are to serve you as elders and deacons of the church. Lord, thank you that you have provided so much for us. And as we sang, you have promised good to us. Your word our hope secures you will our shield and portion be as long as life endures. So help us to embody that both individually and as a community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And neither does his plan for salvation for man. But why does man need salvation? Why do we need a Savior who is Jesus Christ? Well, our confession today, our confession of faith found on page 7, tells us just that. As we work our way through the Heidelberg Confession, uh, Catechism rather, we're going to look at questions 6 to 8. So I'll ask the question, and if you respond as a congregation. Did God create people so wicked and perverse? No. God created them good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that they may be, know God, the creator, love him with all their heart, 
and live with God in internal happiness to praise and glorify him. Then where does this corrupt human nature come from? The fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in a sinful condition. But are we so corrupt that we totally are, we are totally unable to do any good and inclined towards all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Good morning. My name is Scott Mitchell. I'm the associate pastor here at Trinity. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be recruiting for community groups. Our community groups are going to meet in February, March, and April. And so three months on and one month off. Before I say much about that, let me say this. My wife and I were having a conversation in the car on Friday. And as many of you know, we've been here for two and a half years. We spent nine years in Pennsylvania before that doing college ministry. And Bonnie asks me, is there anything, like, what do you miss about our home that we made there? And the most sweetest thing that we miss is our community group there. We miss those people so much. And I think here at Trinity, other than what happens on Sunday morning, the best thing that we do are community groups. If you're hosting a community group, could you please stand up right now so people can identify you? I don't mean to embarrass you, and y'all shouldn't be embarrassed. So Paul and Joanne Delorier wave at the crowd. Hi, yeah. I don't think that, well, Paul's not worthy of claps, but Joanne is. Brad and Gloria Moses host one on Sunday afternoons. Brad and Stephanie Rutmans host one on Sunday afternoons. The Webbers host one on Thursday. And we also have, y'all can sit down, thank you. And we also have uh, Jeremy and Casey Brown who host one in Claremore. Guys, I can't tell you how much it is important to be involved in these, to do life on life. Pastor Blake mentioned things like depression, uh, addiction to pornography. Friends, these are places, these community groups are places you can go and you can be known for who you are and loved. They're places where you can talk about a past abortion. They're places where you can talk about your kids struggling. They're places where you can talk about the difficulties you have in your marriage. Our society is not one in which we make ourselves known and are loved. We take our Facebook and Instagram accounts and we curate what we show the world. Community groups are uncurated. They're life on life to help each other along the way. If you're interested in being a part of a community group, and even if you've been a part of a community group for years, on the table, in the foyer, are signups. I encourage you to sign up, even if you know you're going to go to it, even if you've been a part of it for the past five years. Guys, please do that. And you know what I'd love to see, too? 
all of our Owasso groups, especially or really big community groups, I would love for us to be praying about planting even more, on more days of the week. What would it be like if in the summer or in the fall, instead of having five community groups, we had 10 and we multiplied? And in two years, instead of having 10, we had 20 places where you could go and find respite for your soul. So pray about doing this. And I'm excited at the opportunity that God's given us this coming spring. Hey, everyone. How are y'all? It's good to see you. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story this morning. It's a really famous story. Some of you I know have heard about it from your mom and your dad. But before I tell you the story, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you walk on water? No. Can anything walk on water? No. Oh, my gosh. Come on. There is a type of lizard that can. And you know what? What do they often call that lizard? They call it the Jesus lizard. That's right. There's also a kind of bug. There's a kind of bug that can walk on water, and there it is on the screen. Can you see it? It's called a water strider. It's got a funny Latin name, too, but do you know what most people call this kind of bug? The Jesus bug. Do you know that... Water, water is not meant to be walked on, is it? It's not. In fact, water is sticky. It likes to stick to itself. That's why when you pour it out of your glass, it all goes together. There's, there, water sticks to itself, especially on the surface of the water. It's really sticky. And that is a word you'll learn as you get older called surface tension. Right, TU students? Yeah, there it is, surface tension. And that surface tension has a force. And this bug... God has designed this bug to be able to stand on the surface of the water because the water has a surface tension that is greater than the weight of that bug. Isn't that amazing? Look what else. This bug has got amazing eyes, and he has got waterproof skin. And if you look really close at his legs, look what his legs look like. Isn't that crazy? They're hairy, and they're waterproof, so water never penetrates this bug. This bug stays on the surface of the water, so he can walk on the surface of the water. That's right, Walker. The bug is sticking to the water. Now, let me ask you a question again. Jesus walked on water. And there's a story in John chapter 6 that we're going to look at today where Jesus walked on water. His disciples are going across 
the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake. And they got scared in the middle of a big storm. And Jesus, who was off praying on a mountain, came and walked up to them in the boat. Now, was there electricity back then? No. So can you imagine being on a boat in the pitch black of night with no, yeah, no way, Cohen says, no way, with no lights. You can't light a torch on a wooden boat. Things don't go very well. So it's pitch black. And all of a sudden they hear, and Peter says, is that a fish? And Andrew says, that is no fish. And Philip says, I see somebody. And the text says that Jesus was able to talk to him, which means that Jesus, in the pitch black of night, walked so close to that boat that he was able to talk to him, to them, without a microphone. And he was able to say, it is I. It's me. Do not be afraid. And do you know what that story teaches us, kiddos? I'm going to teach your moms and your dads today about the fact that Jesus comes to us when we're on the high seas. And he walks right up to us, and sometimes he surprises us. He's so close that we almost get scared when we see him because some of the other gospel writers said that they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus is near to you. And so when it's late at night and you're scared, do you know what you can do? You can call out to him because he's near you. Or pray. That's the same word. That's the fancy way of saying you can talk to Jesus. That's right, Vanna. And you can say, God, I'm scared. Would you help me? And he will be there. And he will say to you, it is I. I'm here. Do not be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. And children, isn't that good news? That's good news indeed. Glory to God. Children, God's peace be with you. And also with you. And also with you. Go forth, kiddos, to worship in peace and with our love. Moms and dads, you're welcome to take your kiddos back to Trinity Kids now if you would like. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, friends, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. Let's stand and greet somebody that you haven't yet met. Welcome those who are new. Fill out that green Trinity Connect card, and we are so glad you're here. In favor of the Lord.
Okay, friends, when you have an opportunity, would you please grab a Bible and open with me to John chapter 6. Hey, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. On the back of your bulletin, on the final page, there's a list of announcements that you'll want to see, events that are coming up. There's a lot of exciting things that are happening in our church. Um, one, of the, one of the exciting things is that every year we have an annual congregational meeting where we, where we look back at 2019 and we look forward to 2020. And that's going to happen next weekend, next Sunday, right after worship. We're going to stay in this room and we're going to have our annual congregational meeting. It's a fancy term to say congregational meeting, but it basically just means we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate what God did in 2019 and we're going to celebrate what God is going to do in 2020. And one of the fun things for me and for some of the elders who get to see uh, our church plant at Three Rivers and our church plant in Bartlesville is that we don't, we don't always get to see those 22 families that we sent away from our church to plant new churches. We hear about them through reports, but um, we're going to hear next week about how Three Rivers is doing. And we're going to hear next week about how, about how Bartlesville is doing. We're going to hear, for example, that Bartlesville um, just, just um, by the grace and majesty and beauty of God and his goodness, Bartlesville was just given a free building, essentially. Pretty amazing, huh? So we'll hear about that story next week. It's pretty awesome. Three Rivers also has a building, and so our two daughters have homes, but Mama is still homeless, right? And so we'll, we'll hear more about what that looks like and uh, what our plans are uh, for the future next week. All right, last week was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Because about uh, 20 minutes from now, if last week goes, if this week goes like last week, then the fire alarm is going to go off, and um, we're going to pray. Your prayer warriors, please pray now that that doesn't happen in 20 minutes. Um, but we had communion outside last week, and a couple of people said, make a video, make a video, do something, finish your sermon so we can hear the end of it. And so I thought I would just take about 30 seconds and finish the sermon right now. Okay with you? All right. Last week, we were in John chapter 6. We're going to read this week's passage here in just a minute. But last week, I was talking to you about how Jesus came and fed the 5,000. Remember, there's a young teenage boy with them, a young lad between the ages of 12 and 20 is the Greek word. And so he probably traveled with the disciples. He probably had some of their provisions. And maybe his family was traveling with the disciples. We don't know. But the last point I was going to make was very simple. And it's that sometimes when we're faced with predicaments, or we're faced with very hard questions, like we looked at last week, then we become like Peter or like Andrew or like the crowd in how we try to fix the problem. What was, Peter, what was Philip's go-to method of fixing the problem? He immediately thought of money. Throw money at the problem, right? 200 denarii, eight months' wages wouldn't provide enough food for all these people, Jesus. Some of us throw money at problems. There's a spiritual issue in our life, we throw money at it because God's resources resourced us that way. And that may work for a time, but you know from your own experience that that doesn't solve the deepest problems of our heart. Or some of us are like Andrew. And what did Andrew do? Andrew thought of people. Some of us throw money at problems and others of us throw people. And we have tried to throw people at problems too in the past. Well, just, 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 just have people, people get to work. You see this at your company all the time. It's a human resources issue. 
But we also know that people, as gifted as so many in the church are, ultimately there are wounds in our hearts that are so deep we can't solve them with people, can we? And then some of us are like the crowd. At the very end of the story, it says the crowd. The crowd, what did the crowd do? It says that they came and they wanted to take Jesus by force. And they wanted Jesus to be the one who came and conquered the Romans by force. And some of us, some of us, yes, we turn to politics too, don't we? So if money is not the solution and people aren't the solution and politics isn't the solution, maybe we ought to trust in Jesus and look to him who came and fed 15,000 people, 5,000 men, the text says, and he provided for them out of the overflow of his sufficiency. And do you see this in your own life? Don't you see how the gospel is such that all the resources of the world will not solve the deepest problems of our hearts? It's only through the finished work of Christ who left the scene because he was being forced by this crowd to go and usurp the Romans. And it says in the text that he withdrew and went to a mountain to pray. And this is therefore where our passage picks up. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me and we'll read from John chapter six. This very famous story of Jesus walking on the water. We'll begin at verse 16 and we'll go down through verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's an old preacher's story about a man who was in a flood, and the, the floodwaters came up to his knee. And a man in a jeep came by and said, get in, I will rescue you. And the man looked at the driver of the jeep and said, no, 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 thank you, sir. God is going to save me. And a little while later, the waters, the waters came up to his waist and a boat came by and the man in the boat said, get in the boat. And the man said, no, 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 thank you, thank you. God is going to save me. And a little while later, the water got so high, he climbed up onto his roof on his house, and the helicopter came by, and the helicopter lowered a rope down, and the guy called down, get, grab the rope, we'll pull you up, we'll save you. And the man said, no, thank you, God is going to save me. And soon the waters swept him away, and, and he died. And his first words to Jesus were, where were you? And Jesus looked at this man and said, well, son, what did you expect? I sent you a jeep and a boat and a helicopter. It's an old funny preacher story to talk about the way that God moves in our life. And um, it's silly, yes, but the question is still the same, isn't it? The question is, what, 
what did you expect, Christian? What did you expect from your relationship with Jesus? What do you expect? Non-Christian who's here listening to this, what, what do you expect of God? What do you expect? Some of you think, well, I'm going to follow God whenever he fixes my marriage. Some of us think, well, I'm going to follow God whenever he fixes immigration policy. Some of you think, well, I'm going to follow God as soon as he helps me conquer this debt that I'm in. Some of you think that I'm going to follow God if. And I know that you don't say that, at least not verbally, but you think it. I'm going to follow God when. And I just want good vibes to come my way. Good vibes. Good vibes all the time. And though we may profess with our mouth at our best that Jesus is Lord, functionally many of us live as though we don't believe in God at all. Because there's markedly little difference in our life between when we came to Christ and now. Or there's markedly little difference in our life between um, those who profess faith in Jesus and those, those who don't. Why do you think 85% of our city doesn't go to church? Because they look at the church and they say, well, why would I do that? I can get everything that they seem to have on offer without giving up my Sundays. And so they throw hypocrite and they throw two-faced and they throw inconsistent. And all of that's true of me and of you. But what did you expect? And the story that we looked at last week is the story of how Jesus provides for us in his sufficiency. He provides all of our needs. And in this story, when they cross over to go to Capernaum, they stop over at Bethsaida first, but they're on their way to Capernaum. It's as though that was, that was the lesson that Jesus provides all your needs, and then this is the test. Will you really let him protect you when you're afraid? And this text teaches a very a simple lesson, and it's this, that Jesus comes to us in our darkness and chaos to reveal his power and presence. That Jesus comes to us in our darkness and chaos to reveal his power and presence. It's a theme that you see strewn throughout almost all of the Gospel of John. But yet it comes in a very particular way at this passage. John wants us to see their fear. He wants us to see their joy, and he wants us to recognize their safety. And so come with me into the boat. Let's look first at their fear. The disciples had just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 men. 15,000 people, perhaps, were there on the grassy knoll. And um, the text says that literally this group, this was potentially an army they turned violent. It says that they wanted to take Jesus by force, perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain beside himself. We know from Mark that Jesus sent his disciples on. He said, guys, get in the boat. I got this. And so they get in the boat, and they're going to go meet with Jesus. And they're agreed upon plan. And Jesus the other gospel writers tells us, face the crowd. And he disbanded the crowd. And then Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray by himself. Our Lord goes up on a mountain to pray by himself. Oh, if we could only emulate the spiritual disciplines of our Savior, right? Who withdrew to pray, to spend time with him. 
Would that we be a people also who pray. And they are on the boat in the evening, it says. And evening in Greek can refer to any time from late afternoon before sunset. And uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000 happened on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, south of Bethesda. And they um, were going there, the other Gospels tell us, to meet Jesus before they go on to Capernaum, which was their final destination. And when they get to Beth, uh, Bethsaida, I said Bethesda earlier, I meant to say Bethsaida. When they get to Bethsaida, perhaps they don't find Jesus. We don't know, but we know that they connected in Capernaum. What happened to Bethsaida? We don't know. Jesus said, I'll, I'll meet you there. And, and they get there, and he wasn't there. And they probably waited for some time to figure it out and, and, and said, well, guys, listen, we got a boat. Let, let's go on to Capernaum, where Jesus said that he will ultimately meet us. And so the story picks up right here, where they're on their way from Bethsaida to Capernaum. And they travel across the sea, across the ocean. It says they traveled three or four miles. In Greek, they count it in terms of stadia. A stadia is a 200-foot-long span. And so he's 20 to 30 stadia out on the ocean, uh, this boat is. And, and a boat that these disciples are on was meant to basically curve the coasts of the lake it was not meant to go across great seas and certainly not across great seas and great storms. It was a fishing vessel. And it would be basically the size of like a, a FedEx truck that you might see bringing packages to your home. It would have one mast and one sail and it would have a rudder on the starboard side on the, on the right side of the boat. And this was essentially it. It was very rudimentary. If you guys have ever gone duck hunting in a John boat, it's basically a, you double the size of that John boat, and that's about as stable as these boats were going to be. And here they are, and the wind sweeps down from the west onto this lake through the ravines and the valleys, a lake that, um, that we know is more than 800 feet below uh, the sea level of the Mediterranean Sea. And... Um, Artists through the years have been captivated by this scene, these men on these boats. And there, is, um, there are several famous pictures that artists have tried to paint. This one is um, by a 19th century Frenchman, Charlet-Francois Chalabre, who basically paints this picture in the 19th century and 1866. Uh, um, and... Um, it's hard to see it in the light, but you can see Jesus in the background, can't you? With light around him, walking toward these brothers in the boat. There's no, there's no mast or sail on that boat. Maybe it's down. Maybe it really was down in the ancient Near East. We don't know. Or maybe, maybe he just painted it without a boat so that he didn't hide the artistic picture of Christ. And then the more famous one, of course, is, is by uh, Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted this famous picture in 1633. The storm on the high, uh, storm on the Sea of Galilee. And until 1990, you could go to Boston and you could see it. They stored it at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston until March of 1990, when this picture on March 18th, with several other pictures, was stolen from the museum. And um, it's still gone. So if you have it, please give it back. It was the greatest art heist in U.S. history, and on, on the anniversary date in 2013, the FBI said, we know 
we know who we think has these pictures. It was an organized crime ring, and um, the investigation is still ongoing. But if you go into the museum in Boston, you can still see the you can still see the frames. There's no picture in them, but they left the frames of these art exhibits, these priceless pieces of art that were taken. This is the most famous picture. Um, when our elders, when we have a group, uh, a way that we communicate, and the picture of our elder group is this picture. It's of these, of these men fighting against the ocean. What I love about this picture is that Jesus is there in the boat, right? This is toward the end of the story, and Jesus is in the boat. And, and some of the guys are working with the mass. They're trying to fight the high seas, and others are like, forget Martha, man. I'm going to be married. I'm just going to sit at Jesus' feet and just listen to him. It's an amazing picture. Artists have tried throughout the centuries to, to try to articulate exactly what's going on. But what we know is that John is like tremendously dramatic. It says that it was a dark night. Notice that when, when John uses the word it was dark, it, also, it often means something physical, but it often means it's also a spiritual darkness as well. It says in verse 17, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. It was a dark and stormy night at sea. It was a dark and stormy night at sea in the middle of the night and they were in the middle of the sea. And even for professional fishermen, it was a very precarious situation to be in. And um, then they see in the distance, they hear it first probably, the splash, the walking, the cadence breaking the rhythm of the waves as it laps against the side of the boat. And then, and then they see it, and, and they, see, they see something. They see Jesus, they think, walking toward them. They think it's Jesus. The other gospel writers tell us that it was a ghost, and they were afraid. And you, too, would be afraid. Like, if, if, if Ryan Baker walked out to me in the middle of the dark and stormy night at sea when I was on a boat... I would be freaking out. And here Jesus walks right up to him. And it says he gets close enough to talk to him. And amidst all the sounds of the storm, he had to have been close enough. Maybe he could even touch him. Like maybe Jesus was right there. And he says to them, it is I. Which is a common, a common greeting to say, hey, it's me. And yet we also know that it is I. Ego and me was a way that the Lord often would show himself to be who he really was in the Old Testament. And here Jesus is saying, ego ami, it is I, I'm here. And just like the Lord created the oceans in Genesis chapter one, and just like the Lord through Moses parted the seas in Exodus, so also here Jesus is, the one who's walking over the darkness and the chaos of the sea, the thalassa in Greek. He's walking over it toward his disciples and he is saying, oh, you've heard the lesson, now here's the test. I'm here. And it says that in their fear, they were glad Jesus showed up. Because all throughout the Psalms, they're thinking as good Jewish men, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters, Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Ego of me. I'm here. Or in Job, who shut the sea with its doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your proud ways be stayed. 
or elsewhere in the Psalms, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned as king forever. Or Psalm 89, he rules the raging of the sea and when its waves rise, you still them. Or as Chris and uh, Lisa read earlier, who stills the roaring of the seas? Verse 7 of Psalm 65 that we read together. The roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell in the land of the earth are in awe of your signs. This walking on the water being his fifth sign in the book of John. You make the going out of the evening shout for joy. Jesus takes initiative on his own terms. Remember the last time he invites the, he invites the disciples to join him in the miracle. And here Jesus says, I got this. He just walks right up to him and says, Ego of me. It's me. Let me in. And they let him in the boat. And they were glad. And then the text says, Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. Matthew writes about Peter jumping out of the water. Do you remember the story, right? When you put the Gospels together, you try to make sense of exactly how all of these pieces, maybe Jesus did this twice. We don't think so. We think he did it once. But Matthew adds more details here than John does. Because John's point is not to emphasize what the disciples did. His point is to emphasize, emphasize, you preach next week, emphasize what Jesus did. And Jesus is taking the initiative to come to them, to walk out on the high seas, to go to them in their problems. That's why when I prayed earlier that, Lord, you would help us to be aware of our struggles with depression. Would you help us to be aware? There are some men in this room who are they're scared. They're freaking out. They didn't clear their browsing history from last night because you were looking at pornography. You're gripped by it, and you don't know how to get out from under it. There are people in this room who are just are so anxious, like they're tied up in knots, not with like a biblical healthy concern, but they, they're growing more anxious as they get older and they don't know what to do about that. And Jesus is coming to you and he says, Ego on me. I'm here. I'm with you amidst all of your assignments. I'm with you amidst all of your papers. I'm with you amidst all those projects. I'm with you in the midst of trying to get things done at the house. I am with you. And you know how he communicates that he's with us? Sometimes he does it directly through his word in a time when we're reading it with him, like when Jesus was by himself on the mountain speaking to his father directly. But many times in his life, he communicates it through the faces and the voices of the people you hear around you, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, used by God to encourage you and to say, hey, this is hard stuff, but we're in it together. And while it is It is your responsibility. I will help bear the burden with you as much as I can, and we'll walk forth together. Verse 21 says that they were glad to take Jesus into the boat. The teaching here is that it's not get Jesus and get out of the scary places. Get Christianity, and life will be what you expect. The teaching here is that get with Jesus and you get the strength to endure. Amen? God rarely works by subtraction, friends. He works by addition. And that is that he inserts himself into your life in places that are often very difficult. And he is with you in the midst. He works by addition. He comes to you. He takes the initiative to come to you. There's a man named Joe Novenson who is a, a, a pastor in our, denomina- our denomination. He's semi-retired now. And Joe tells a story of when he was in high school. And um, 
he, when he first met his wife, he had this high school crush on this girl. And after many weeks of mustering up the courage to, to ask her out on a date, he finally does. And the Friday night comes, and um, he, he's home with his mother who, who raised him by herself. And, and she says to, to Joe, Joe, the sump pump is backed up again, and I need you to go down there and fix it. And uh, he says, Mom, but I'm taking her to dinner tonight. And she says, Joe, I'm so sorry. But the sewer's backed up, and it can't wait. And so Joe tells a story of how he puts these, you know, these waders on and he gets these five-gallon buckets and he goes down to the sump. Anybody ever had a house with a sump pump? Oh, bless you. Yes, there it is. I see those hands. He goes down and he clears the sump pump. And, 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 he's, and he's in there for an hour. He's in there for two hours. He's looking at his watch going, man, my date started 35 minutes ago. He has to tell her he's got to cancel the date. He's heartbroken about it. And then a couple hours later into this, around dinner time, he hears the door open and he sees, he sees um, you know, what he thinks is going to be his mother saying, Joe, it's dinner time. And he looks up and who does he see but the girl with a pair of waders on coming down the stairs. And she said, well, if you couldn't come and pick me up, I thought I'd come and hang out with you. And Joe says, I knew that moment I was going to marry that girl. And that's like your savior. He puts the waiters on, friends, in the incarnation. And he comes down to you in the midst of the muck and the mire of the sewer that we have made for ourselves. And he, he says, I'm here. You can't come to me. You can't come pick me up. You're unable to do that since the fall has happened. I'm going to go to you. And he walks down the stairs of heaven and he says, I'm going to get into the filth with you because I just want to be with you. Do you know that? Like your Savior loves you. It says that they were glad that he got in the boat. They were glad because they enjoyed Jesus, no doubt. But they were also glad because, man, just having Jesus around makes things a lot better. And then it says, and immediately, and immediately they were safe. Their fear their gladness, and their safety. Immediately they were safe. We don't know. Some, some early church fathers talk about this being another miracle. The text doesn't suggest that. John is just simply trying to say that Jesus got in the boat, and next thing John remembers, they're safe. He doesn't remember the details. It's not important why, because his focus is on what Jesus did. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Sometimes we're caught in a storm because we have disobeyed the Lord. And it's his fatherly discipline. Jonah is a good example of that. And sometimes we're caught in a storm because we've obeyed the Lord. And it is the way that God intends to shape and mold us into his image through the storm. So the presence of storms or difficulties shouldn't surprise you. It's our responsibility to listen. What is he trying to do in the midst of my situation, amidst the tensions that I feel? How should I be responding to this? Should I be responding with confession of sin? Should I be responding with endurance and community? What should I be doing? What and how are you to respond amidst the difficulties that you're experiencing right now? John intends us to read this passage this way, to read it devotionally, to think about how we are to respond also when Jesus on his own initiative comes to us. And it's important for us as a church 
to think about how we respond together because no man is an island. We are not disparate people coming to worship. We are made organically as one through our union with Christ. We affect each other. And we have lost this in the modern day church, in the Western church, but our Jewish brothers and sisters still have this as one of their core values as a community. There's a place in the Talmud which talks about a ship. And in this ship are many rooms. And there is a man who is drilling a hole in the floor of his bedroom. And we're like, the guys on the ship run to this man and say, what are you doing? The boat is sinking. Do not drill a hole in the floor of your room. He goes, well, it's my room. I can do what I want. This is my bedroom. And the story of the Talmud is, no, it's not your bedroom by yourself. You share a ceiling, and you share a floor, and you share walls. This is our boat. And men and women, let me just encourage you. There is no temptation taking you except what is common to man, and God intends us to fight against that. He intends us to push back the darkness. And he wants us to do that together. He wants us to take fighting to become the people he's called us to be to a whole new level, not at our own strength. We've tried that for 500 years in Western civilization. Has it worked? If anything, the Enlightenment has made things even harder. But he wants us to do it through a countercultural community for the common good of our city called the church. And he wants us to do it in a way that's hum- that we humbly say, Lord, yes, thank you for coming to me. Get into the boat. Because, friends, Jesus comes to us and he says, Ego, Amy. It is I, the same one who separated the waters in the Exodus, is the same one who treads on the waters now, and is the same one who treads on the serpent's head and conquered sin and death on the cross for us. And three days later, rose again. So that we today live between the already, already accomplished for us, but not yet fully consummated. And the Lord Jesus is going to come again. But he reminds us now in the midst of the high seas of modern life that he is with us. And John wants you to understand this morning that your Savior loves you and he is near to you. What do you expect? He has exceeded your expectations if you have ears to hear him. He has come to you through the circumstances of your life to remind you that I am the only way that you're able to get safely to shore. Do you know him? Those of you who have been coming to church for years, do you know? Do you trust? Do you know that you can't get to shore by yourself? I know you've tried through religion. Do you trust in Christ alone? And those of you who are Christians, Do you look again? Do you look again to Jesus to help you get through this week? And are you allowing yourself to be shaped by the means of grace of the Lord's table that we'll partake in in just a minute through reading God's word throughout the course of the week? Or do we just lead lives that are just like the world? Whether it's through disobedience or it's through obedience, we find ourselves on the high seas at times and Jesus comes to us and says, I am here. I'm near you. We are in this together. And Jesus comes to us in our darkness and our chaos to reveal his power and his presence 
in our life. We may be just as hard-headed as the disciples. I know I am. But Jesus comes to us and he says, let me in. I've come to you. Do not be afraid. I am that I am. Ego and me. What did you expect? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you come to us on your own initiative and you love us because you love us. You don't love us because we're good people. You love us because you set your affection upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who find themselves at high seas. Lord, that you would draw near to them in the dark of the night with no torches to light the way, no lights to find the rocks and the waters, that you would just remind us that you're with us and that you love us. And would you remind us now as we partake of the supper that you draw near to us in these means of grace? And would you challenge us now as we're about to give that our stewardship can be in honor of you, our true king? All that we are and all that we have is yours anyway. Help us to be good stewards of it for your glory. Fear not, for I am with you, you tell us, and be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Thank you, Jesus, that you're near. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is with us by spirit within us, but he is also with us in the Lord's Supper. This is our confession that he is in us and we are in him. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the remission of sins. 
And as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim that our Lord has died for us, that he is raised for us, and that he is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you. O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and everlasting God, and therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Friend, this is not the table of Trinity. This is the table of the Lord. And therefore, if you are a Christian, baptized into the triune name, and if you're a part of a church where the gospel is preached, please join us in this. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. We really and truly are. Yet, we urge you not to eat it and not to drink because it is a profession of faith. When we take this and we put it in our mouths, it is saying, I believe that Jesus died. And I believe that he rose again. And I believe that he's coming back. So if you don't believe, just don't eat. But we are so glad that you're here. Please keep coming back. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And the, the elders are going to come and join me. And we'll take the supper up here. Once the elders get to one of four stations, there's two in the front and two in the back, feel free at your own time to go. The red is real wine and the white is grape juice. There's a gluten-free option on the tray. You'll form semicircles around the elder and get further instructions from him when he's there. If you would, please join me as elders come up. Father, we thank you for this, this true food and true drink. Nourish us by faith and lift us up to the heavenlies where Christ is.